welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. In the last days, we will see more clearly than ever a massive collision between two powerful forces. The tribulations of the Antichrist are released for a final manifestation in human history. But so is the wrath of God. And as we watch the opening of the fifth and sixth seals on the scroll, we'll see this great collision at work. And it won't take long to discover which is stronger. But we're not going to stop here. We're going to go on further and take a look at that ominous term that we'll hear on the lips of unbelievers, the wrath of the Lamb. You don't often think, think of lambs being angry, do you? Beware of lamb. It's not, not something you see a lot. <laughs> and as we do, we'll discover something amazing, that even his wrath is an expression of his love. To do this, we'll start with the fifth and sixth seals, then we'll step back and take a look at the big picture. We'll study the process of how the Lamb brings His wrath upon the earth. We'll look at the seals, and then the trumpets, and then the bowls. I won't define all of those, but I want to show you how they are used. And then we'll apply the lessons we learn to ourselves. Because surprising as it may seem, the same principles we see at work in the book of Revelation are already at work in the world today and in our lives. If we have the ears to hear, we can gain a wisdom which will bring much blessing because we'll better understand the love of God and the wrath of God. Now, let me, let me catch you up, kind of remind you of where we are and, and how we got there. Chapters 4 and 5, chapter 5, the scroll gets transferred. You have a picture of the Ancient of Days. God the Father, seated in his heavenly throne, and he has in his right hand a scroll. Now, a scroll will be a long rolled up parchment, rolled like this, and he's, it's held, he said, in, in his right hand, as he sits there, and it's sealed with seven seals. What will have been done is either seven blops of sealing wax, or it will have been of, of, of clay, along this outer edge holding it closed. Something has, it's been sealed with seven different seals. The question goes out, who's, who's worthy to open this book and to read what's in it? And we're told that it's written on the front and the back. It's, it's full of writing. And the, the answer is no one's worthy. There is no one worthy. And John begins to weep. And then it says, wait, the Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is worthy. And so Jesus steps forward. He is this, the son of man that Daniel saw. And he takes the scroll out of the Father's hand. And then he begins to break, one at a time, these seals that run down the, the outer edge. Breaks them off. And as he does, as he breaks each one off, something happens. Something is released. And it is for the first, for the first five of these, it is something evil. Something bad happens. I mean, you get to the point where you think, no, don't pluck another one of those. You know, leave it alone. Don't touch that. Every one he opens, is, get, things just get worse. The first seal he opens, if you recall, was a rider on a white horse with a crown and a bow 
and he went out conquering and to conquer. Do you remember who that is? It is the Antichrist. Looks like Christ. I mean, didn't, doesn't Jesus Christ ride a white horse? He does. But he's got a white hat. This guy doesn't. And, and so, yeah, well, that's, I added that. So this guy looks like Christ, but he goes out conquering and to conquer. And, and he does so when one of the four living creatures that's around the throne says, Come. The, that which restrained the man of lawlessness is now removed. You know, all through history, this Antichrist spirit has expressed itself. There have been numerous prototypes, as it were, of the Antichrist. We could, we could name some, and I won't. Uh, but they keep popping up, and then God and the world deal with them and push them back down, and then they pop up again. I had, um, I had an infestation of mushrooms in my front lawn. You know, and I'd pull those suckers out, and I'd spray that thing, and they'd boink up, they'd come again. Well, that Antichrist spirit has popped up like that all through history. This thing keeps trying to express itself, trying to come to the fore, but it's not time. It isn't time, and so God puts it back down. There'll come a moment at the end of history when the Lord will say, come. The seal will be broken. And Antichrist, this final expression of human evil and of, of Satan basically expressing his heart will be allowed. That will be allowed at the end of time. So that thing's broken. The second seal he breaks is wars. And, we, and you just have him, him starting his, great, his empire. He will... Uh, if you recall, he will take over one kingdom. He will then from there conquer two more, and there will be a central core to his empire of three nations. Seven will come into league and completely cooperate with him, so he'll have a ten-nation core. But they will go out and they'll spread their empire. As far as I can tell from it, it's about a quarter of the, of the surface of the earth. Not a half a hemisphere is what will be taken and covered by his, his empire. The third seal is broken. A rider on a black horse goes out with a pair of scales in his hand. And, that, and, and, the, and the call goes out, uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Denarius is a, a day's wage. A day's wage for one quart of wheat, enough for about one person to eat for an entire day's wage. Or barley is a cheaper grain and you could, have, you could feed some more of the family on a cheaper grain, but you're just starvation. It's the picture of people under siege. You've got, you're, you're being sieged and you're starving to death in, in the city as you portion out a little bit of grain as your, as your ration for the day. It's that kind of picture. And so you've got this um, burning fields and sieged cities as Antichrist spreads his empire. Uh, we, we break another one and you've got the picture of death. I mean, it's millions of people are dead, and you've got the picture of, of, of animals eating the carcasses, um, wild bir the birds of the air eating these things, people dying in the cities, uh, the ravaged cities, the, 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 the battlefields with the dead laying on them. It's an ugly picture. You know, you think, quit, quit opening those things. I mean, it, he just opens that. And then we come to the fifth seal, and, and it is one more, one more uh, sign of bad news, but I'll, I'll tell you, give you a little hint. The six seals, believe it or not, is good news. So here we go. Revelation chapter 6. I'll begin at verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, 
I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Now, you've got a picture of an altar, and it's not defined which one, but these souls are under the altar, and they have been martyred. They have been killed for the word of God, which would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because they've maintained their testimony, they have not renounced Christ under the face of, of, of pressure, but have died for their faith. So you've got these people who've died for their faith, and their souls underneath this altar are rising up in prayer to God, calling on Him for justice. At what point will there be blood for blood? At what point will their lives be, def- be uh, avenged, the taking of their lives? The altar... Some people think it's the altar, uh, the picture of the, the great bronze altar in the, in, the front, in the courtyard of the tabernacle where the sacrifices were made. But that was a place for atonement. I don't think it has anything to do with atonement. So I know what altar it is. And I think it's the altar of incense. And if you recall, when we went through the book of Exodus, we saw in that, in that outer court of the tabernacle, there was the table of showbread, there was the seven-branched lampstand, and then there was a little altar right in front of the veil, right in front of the curtain, and on the other side would be the Ark of the Covenant, right in front of it. And it was 18 inches by 18 inches, and it was 30 inches high. Remember that? And on that, was a, was a, was a, there would be a bowl with hot ashes, and the priest would take a handful of incense and put it on there. And this beautiful steam, this sweet-smelling steam, would rise up before the Lord. And it was a symbol of what? Prayers of the saints, Prayers of the saints. yeah. God was saying, do you need bread? Do you need light? Just come to me in prayer. And your prayers are sweet smelling. I love your prayers. I welcome your prayers. And they would rise up before the Lord. And so now we have this picture of these souls of martyrs, like that incense, rising up before the Lord, calling on him for justice. This isn't a bunch of people who just want want vengeance. I mean, I've had, I had, I read some things where people are complaining. That wasn't a very Christian attitude. You know, I, that it, they, aren't, they, aren't, they don't have to say a word. You know, the Bible says that the death of the saints is precious in the sight of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 4, when Cain killed his brother Abel, the Lord said, where's your brother? And he says, what, what do you mean, where's my brother? And he says, his blood cries to me from the ground. People aren't going to kill believers and have it go unnoticed. Their very blood cries to the Lord for justice. But you notice what his answer is here. It's quite profound. Look, look there again at, at um, verse 11. They have just said, how long will you wait till you avenge our blood? How long will you co- wait till you come and bring justice? And there was given to them a white robe. That's a symbol of their, their, their forgiveness. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, (laughs) would be completed. God says, not yet. There's going to be many more who come. Listen, multitudes of people 
will give their lives to Jesus Christ in the tribulation, knowing they will die. And I want to show you the next seal gives you some understanding of why, how that happens. Let's look at the next seal, verse 12. Now, this is good news. You may not know this, but it is, this, is, this is a good news. Now we change and so say yay. Yay. Uh, yeah, yeah, all right, there you go. That was very enthusiastic. Thank you. You know, we've just opened five seals and it just goes one thing to another. Now we're going to open the sixth seal, but I'll show you why you said yay. All right. I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when it's when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was, mine says split apart, but I think the Greek better says set aside. The picture is the sky being rolled up like a scroll you're done with and set aside in a closet somewhere. The sky disappears. And every mountain and the island were moved out of their places. And then, the, yeah, see, I told you you'd be pleased. The, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, that would be God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, that would be God the Son. And the great day of, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? You say, I didn't notice the good news in that. And let me help you see it. As you open each of the first five, it is the Antichrist and his evil, which is the expression. But when you open the sixth, it's God at work. I said there's a massive collision of two forces. In the, in, you've got the tribulation of the saints, where the Antichrist has his war going on, but you also have the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is good news. And this is the wrath of God beginning to be shown. God rising up in partial answer to these prayers that this martyrdom be stopped. And he begins to bring natural calamity on the earth. You know, it's hard to persecute somebody when you're having a hard time standing. It's hard to persecute somebody when you're hiding under a rock. And so he begins to shake the earth. Now, I'll put together a scenario. It's, 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 it's my speculation, but it's probably right. All right. Look at, yeah, that's, look at this picture. It says, first, it says we got an earthquake, a massive earthquake, there in verse 12. And then we've got the sun becoming black as sackcloth and the moon becoming like blood. The picture is quite clearly a polluted atmosphere. You've got an atmosphere so full of either smoke or dust or, or, or volcanic ash that the sky is dark, and when the sun comes up, it's just, that, just a black dot through the haze. And the moon, if you can see it, is, is, is a deep, murky red. Have any of you have ever been in a, in a forest fire environment or, a, or, or maybe it was around Mount St. Helens and you saw this dark sky? You know what an ominous thing it is. Um, years ago, we had a men's retreat in northern Arizona, and, and they, there was a forest fire. And uh, I tell you, just that, that dark thing of, of smoke over you is just eerie. It is haunting. It's quite an environment. And that's the picture that he's painting. Remember something. John is seeing this in a vision. 
He's writing down what he sees. Some people receive prophecy by, by words. They hear words or they read words. God speaks to them in words. Some people primarily receive their prophecy by vision. They see pictures and images which are then interpreted by the Holy Spirit. It's funny, people seem to fall in one of two classes. Either God speaks to them or he shows them vision. There's an overlap to some degree, but you'll have a tendency. I'm a word fellow. I hear and, and, and God speaks to me in that way, but I wish I were a vision person. And I had one the other day and I was just thrilled. Yay, I got a vision. <laughs> Woo. How many of you are vision people? God tends to show you pictures of things and, and through that, he, go ahead, hold your hands up. See that? Now hold, put those down. How many of you are word people? God tends to speak to you in words. See that? Yeah, it, it tends to divide up. It tends to divide up like this. John, remember this, he's seeing this. So here he's seeing, he's suddenly in this, in this, in this vision where he's seeing this massive earthquake. He's seeing this dark sky, the sun, just a, a black spot through, the, through this cloud, the moon looking blood red and ominous is in the sky. He's seeing all of this. And then he says in the next verse, the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Now, stars aren't likely to fall like that. What, what is, what, what is, something's happening where things are coming and they look like figs falling to the ground. I, I have a fig tree. I, it, it doesn't stay warm enough long enough here. And I get a few ripe figs and then I've got these ones that when it gets too cold, they all freeze. And then we had that windstorm, and man, I mean, I had figs all over. I know exactly what he's talking about. And he's saying that something's going to fall that looks like stars raining down from, from the sky. What might that be? Meteorite. Yeah, a meteorite shower. I, you know, you know it is going to be so easy for this to happen. You take... A good-sized meteor, and you have an impact, you got yourself one earthquake, to say the least. You are going to move the tectonic plates. There's going to be volcanic action. You've got dust. You've got all of this water vapor into the air. You've got all of this, and you've got the whole scenario right there. I understand that we had a near miss in 1989. Last year... Uh, I was out last summer in my, my front yard trying to see because we had a, a meteor that went between us and the moon. It, it missed us, but there, and I, they said you could see it with the naked eye. I couldn't, I missed it. I couldn't find the thing, but it was up there and went that close to us. Uh, <laughs> technically, they're not sure, but it looks like we could have one headed right for an impact by 2028, but this would be a good year, so don't sweat it. So the scenario here is not far-fetched. This isn't just sort of strange biblical language. It all makes total sense, quite frankly. It's exactly what would happen. And you know there's an entire band of meteorites around our solar system, and all it takes is just a bump here and a bump there, and you've got them floating into our orbit. So God at any moment could let this happen. This, this, is, this is effortless for him. And now picture this. Picture the fact that there was a, a news report that we had an incoming massive meteorite. Where, what would happen? Well, you've got the next scene. You've got, the, you've got the, the, the scene of kings and great men and commanders and the rich and strong. Well, where will they go? They'll go into bunkers. 
They'll all go into bunkers and they will talk to us over the radio and tell us not to, not to be worried and to calm down and all will be well, right? Okay. So they're all going into those bunkers that are under the, under the granite in, there in, uh, in Colorado or wherever. And then the rest of us, we all get on I-90. And we head east, and, and yeah, we, we're going east on I-90, trying to get out and get into the Cascades and get into the mountains where we can hide among the rocks. And if you live in Kansas, it's really grim. You, <laughs> you look for anything you can find and, and get behind. But notice this, that in all of this chaos, in all of this chaos, the people know who's responsible. They say to the rocks and the, the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from the wrath of God. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. When these kinds of things begin to go and the earth begins to shake, people can sense what's up. I remember when Mount St. Helens blew, people were talking a good deal about God in those days. There was a poster that I saw. It had this, it was black and white and it had Mount St. Helens going and this huge billowing uh, black uh, smoke going up from it and it simply had this statement. It said, now that he has your attention. <laughs> and, and people were like, well, what does this mean? Is this, you know, well, wait till this kind of stuff begins to roll. Wait till the mountain ranges change shape and some islands are submerged and others, others are reformed. Wait till that kind of thing hits. People will know and listen and people will turn to God. Isn't that interesting? The next chapter, I'm not taking you there, but the next chapter is multitudes of multitudes of people who come up out of this period of time literally willing to die a martyr's death in many cases because they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I mean, we talk about surrendering in the water baptismal tank. These people are surrendering at a beheading. That appears to be one of the major techniques that's going to be used. I'll show you that another time. They're going to give their head for Jesus Christ. They're going to die. And multitudes of them will do it. Let's, let me give you the big, let's look at the big picture a minute. As we go on through the book of Revelation, you're going to see seals and trumpets and bowls. I've showed you the seals. The trumpets are not simply going to be what you often picture when you think of, of, of Jewish People blowing trumpets, you think of the shofar, which is the ram's horn where they cut the end off. And you, you sounds like kind of a... It's kind of an off tone, you know, like, like oh, that was beautiful. And it's not that kind of horn. I want to show you the horn that's going to be blown, the trumpet that's going to be blown. Turn with me to Romans, or pardon me, Numbers chapter 10. There was a different set of trumpets also in Israel. Numbers, that's back in the Pentateuch, first, first, first books. Chapter 10. 
Lord spoke to Moses saying, make yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work, and you shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. So they are, there's two of them. I don't know if they're a different pitch, so it sounds like a freight liner or if it's the same pitch. I don't know how they do it. But one, in some cases, they'll blow two. In some cases, they'll blow one. But these are long silver trumpets, and they're meant to, uh, to, for, a, for a loud blast. Let your eye go down to verse 9. There's a number of reasons they're used, but this is, this is the one I want you to see. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, and when you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be, you shall sound the alarm, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and saved from your enemies. That's the trumpets. We're going to see seven of these things blown, and I'll, we'll, we'll look at what they are. But these great long silver trumpets, the angels will give a blast because... They are calling for God to remember his people and to save them from their enemies. It is this great warning blast. The wrath of God is coming. And actually in the trumpets, the wrath of God has begun. But it's an interesting thing. Here's where I said that the wrath of God shows the love of God. The wrath of God comes in partial measure. It, the trumpets, as each blast is given... Uh, and I, excuse me, I should say this. By the beginning of the trumpets, the last seal is broken. Now, once that last seal is broken on this scroll, it is opened up and the Lamb begins to read the prophecies that are here. And they are not the prophecies of Him coming and dying for our sins. They're the prophecies of Him coming and crushing the nations with a rod of iron. They're the prophecies of Him being Lord of lords and King of kings and all nations bowing their knee to Him. They're the prophecies of Him as the Lion of God. And he begins to read these out and you think, okay, here it comes. But even then, it comes in part. It's a third of this and a third of this and a third of that are destroyed in the wrath of God. But two-thirds aren't. Why? God is blowing a warning. My wrath is coming. Repent. Even in the middle, as he, he can't even bring his wrath without giving the world an opportunity to repent and to be saved. And again, people will give their lives to God during that time. Well, then we finally come to the bowls. We have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. The bowls are these bowls that come right out of the, out of the heavenly tabernacle, and they are poured out on the earth, and they're just straight wrath. Now we're having justice. Now it is blood for blood. Now God is giving to these people who have martyred and butchered his people blood to drink. Now he's paying them back, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. For the evil that they have done to his people, he is giving them wrath. And of course, the ultimate expression of wrath is the final judgment. That outdoes all of this. What do I see here? I want to apply this to us. Let's look at the principles. In the seals, we see the patience of God. While he's opening these seals and these horrible things are happening, you're thinking, why do you let this happen? Why don't you stop it? Why do you let things get so bad? Have you ever asked that question? Where is God? Why didn't he stop this? I mean, it's so evil. What are you waiting for? People are dying. What is he waiting for? 
He's waiting because people are still being saved. He tells these martyrs, not yet, not yet. There are more who will join you. And you say, this is terrible. They're being martyred. Yeah, but there are also people being converted and who will spend eternity in heaven. And if he brings the hammer down, they spend eternity in hell. Have you ever wondered why he's so patient? There's a phrase in, in Genesis 15. He's given this revelation to Abraham and he says, you know, 400 and some years from now, you're children will inherit the land I've promised you. But he said, I'm not giving it to you now. He said, it's not for another 430 years or whatever, because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, the tribes that live here aren't bad enough yet for me to take the land away from them. Well, they were terrible tribes. I mean, they were burning their children, all kinds of, you think, how bad does it have to get? I, whatever it was, it wasn't bad enough. God is a remarkably patient God. And it's a result of his love. If there's a soul to be had, he waits. And that's what he's waiting for. People say, how could he have let the, the, the Holocaust happen? How could he have let these, some of these things happen in history? What is he thinking? How could he let 9-11 happen? You ain't seen nothing yet. Listen to me. You haven't seen anything yet, but he'll allow and to be done to us. There will be, I mean, you, where, and I'll get on the subject of the rapture another day, but whether you think you are gone, and it's just the rest of us here who are, who are suffering, or whatever you think, believers will be dying. There is no avoiding that. It's absolutely, absolutely clear. Multitudes will be dying for their faith. But once it's, but, but uh, let me show you those multitudes. Look at, look at chapter 7 of, of, of Revelation. They did. They went through a wild time. And then look at this, look at these verses in chapter 7, just 15, 16, and 17. The question's asked, who are they? And the answer is, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then it says, for this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them and they will hunger no longer and thirst no more, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Do you think anybody's complaining that they had to go through that rough time as they step into that glory and there's nothing but the grace of God and the love of God forever? Aren't you glad he waited for you? The seals show his patience. The trumpets show his mercy. He brings his wrath in stages, step by step. He brings his, his discipline in our lives, even as believers, step by step. It's always because he's looking for repentance. He wants people saved. He never has a desire to hurt people. He wants them saved. And then finally, the bulls speak of his justice. And that's a part that people have a hard time accepting about God. But God is perfect love, and part of perfect love is justice. 
we had a, we had a hanging of Saddam Hussein. I saw just the part where they put the rope around his neck and all. Some of my children have seen online the, other, the rest of it. My, my daughter said, Why, Dad, when you saw him afterwards, there's no question he was dead. His, his head was at you know, a whole other angle and all of this. I don't know how you reacted to that. And it was absolutely just. This was not, a, no matter how it was handled, it certainly wasn't the hanging of an innocent man. This was a man who had butchered tens of thousands. I mean, he bulldozed bodies into graves when he killed. So this was a man who was getting justice. But even as the rope went taut, I didn't feel a joy. I felt a great grief in my heart that a man was, you, you literally watched him drop into hell. And I, I don't, know, I don't know what you do with it. You can do as you will. But the Bible is very clear. However it is and whatever happens, there is an eternity away from God. Now, I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know what exchanged between him and, him and God in the last moments, but it did not appear to me as he cursed and, and, and shouted. It doesn't appear to me that there was any repentance in the man. And so as horrible as this is, understand this, this was a man that God loved. This was a man that when he was a little boy, God didn't, it, you know, as God formed him in his mother's womb, he didn't, with gifts of leadership, did not form him to do this. This was not the plan. And he watched him grow up, and he watched the choices made. The Lord walked with him through his life, and it came to this moment. And there can be no joy in the fact, justice was administered. It had to happen. But there can be no joy in the fact that he, plunged, he was plunged into eternal darkness. There is a justice. God will not allow you to live with evil forever. In his love for us, he is going to sweep away all of the lies, the violence, the rapes, the, 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 the cruel things. That whole thing and those who hold on to it will be swept aside and we will not live in that environment. We will live in peace and enjoy, for you are his bride and he loves you. Imagine a heaven with Saddam there. Imagine a heaven with Hitler there. Imagine a heaven with just some of the unrepentant people that we know who have chosen a very evil lifestyle there. It wouldn't be heaven, would it? As sentimental as we want to be, God gives people a choice. They make decisions, and he will not take that from them. And if they hold to their decision right to death, the thing that you don't realize is you, when you step through death, your body falls off, but you continue just like you are. Now, God will refine us as we're living with, with him, but if those who surrender to him and love him, you step across, you surrendered in love, in love with him. To those who hate him, those who have held on to their own lordship of their lives, they step across, their body falls off, and they still are lord of their own lives. They still hate him. They still love impurity. That's who they are. See, just getting on the other side doesn't change you. You are what you are. And so, when the rope went taut, Saddam was now the same Saddam, just without a body. Just apply it here now. 
do we face his wrath as believers? Listen, listen to these verses. I, I wrote them out, a couple of them for you. Romans 5, 9 says this, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Because you have turned and given your life to Jesus Christ, you do not get justice applied to you. You get mercy. Is that good news or what? First Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, Notice that? He has not destined us for wrath. That is not for us. It is not in our future. And, it, and listen, it is not in our present. He is not angry at us at all. But for obtaining salvation through our, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we will live together with him. Notice that statement. And 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means that which satisfies the wrath of God. Where did the wrath go for my life? Right here. This is where the wrath went. For my sin, for my wickedness, from my independence of rebellion, Christ was broken. The wrath fell on him. But by faith in him, there is no wrath for me. Not in the future and not now. He is my heavenly father. He disciplines me and corrects me. I'm so grateful. And because my heart is given to him, I've learned to repent. He doesn't have to even, uh, hopefully, I like to shorten the whole process of discipline. So he doesn't even have to go through those awkward corrections. I can let the Holy Spirit convict my heart. And then when I come to a moment like this, it's so easy to say, Father, please forgive me. I do repent of my, my choices of my way. I repent with a whole heart. And then I take the broken bread and I say the body of Christ broken for me. The blood of Christ shed for me. And I just give that to him. What a mercy he's come given us people. The wrath of God is coming upon the earth. But it won't come upon you. It's already spent its power on you in the body of Christ. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.